let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Thursday evening, where we have the awesome privilege to enter into this great topic of theology of the body, a mystery that continues to have us plumbing the depths of the inexhaustible love of God. Uh, What a great joy it has been for me to journey with you in this great study and the guests that have joined me. And I speak of guests here because I do have Chris Seibert with me. Uh, now, I no longer will have Ivan Mora, as I noted last week, because Ivan Mora has officially started his studies uh, for the priesthood, for the Sacramento Diocese, so that is uh, great news, exciting news. He has requested your prayers. I have spoken with him on a couple of occasions. So, uh, yeah, he he seeks your prayers because certainly uh, he will need them, as we all need Uh, prayers, and as we all need to be interceding for one another to do the will of God. And the will of God before Ivan is to be a priest and and to discern uh, more deeply that call to be a priest and what that means for him in his journey to be a son of God. So we are called to pray for him. So that being said, Chris, great to have you with me another evening. Hey, thanks for having me back, Joe. And, uh, you know, that is great news that you yeah, just shared. It's, it's it is. news of good tidings. Uh, and, and I know that Ivan is probably listening to this on a po- podcast yeah. somewhere. So I want to <laughs> say, uh, you know, God bless you on your journey and Godspeed, Ivan. Yeah. Ivan, if you are listening out there, we are praying for you, brother. And uh, be steadfast. Yes. <laughs> be steadfast. So Keep the faith, brother. That's right. <laughs> we have this topic before us, Chris, Theology of the Body. A most exciting topic, uh, by far <laughs> the one topic that I get the most uh, conversations out from when it comes to this radio program, and and I know it is it has meant a lot to you. It has, Joe, and one of the ways that it's uh, broken open for me is um, I teach eighth grade, so I have uh, teens in my own home, I have four children, um, and I have teens at school every day, and. I realize as I study theology of the body and I have new insights each time I go to teach it or to read about it or to study it, I realize, wow, what would it have been like to be an adolescent and have those tools at my disposal? And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it, is that I want those eighth graders, you know, those 14-year-olds to realize the gift that this is for them, to, to realize that their body and soul are integrated, that they are, uh, in their yearning for the other, mm-hmm. they are yearning for God. They just Amen. don't realize it yet. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a great gift to be able to share it and to learn more about it every day. Um, I look forward to these times because even in conversation, new insights or new, you know, revelations come. And, uh, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit is present when we we study this beautiful topic. Well, a- amen, Chris. You know, it's it's the St. Thomas Aquinas moment. The more I come to know, the more I realize how little I know. And, and why would he say that? Because God is, uh, yes, love, as we'll talk about this evening, but he is also mystery. You know, that, that Greek word mysterium, inexhaustible reality. We can never exhaust 
the greatness of God because the greatness of God is infinite, right? So there's always more to be had. And you know, it's interesting as, as we were talking about this earlier, Chris, this idea of you, you discover something so great, so rich that you say to yourself, man, I wish I had this 5, 10, 15 years ago. And uh, there's something tied to that in how we are called to enter into the providential hand of God, huh? Mm -hmm. That you want to know what? God, you are giving this to me now because now is the right time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you used the word gift there earlier, Chris. This is what theology of the body is. It is a gift for the church today. You know, John Paul II, (laughs) I've heard this said on more than one occasion, that 500 years from now, we will still be studying theology of the body, uh, those five years of Wednesday audiences. Why? Because of its theological and philosophical depth. But what's to never be missed, Chris, is that the timing of God is such, it came to us at the right time, the God-ordained time, the God-appointed time. You know, John Paul II came to us in 1978 and 1979, and he gives us theology of the body in his first five years because God ordained that time for John Paul II to give us theology of the body uh, for us today. And it's not rocket science when you draw back a little bit, Chris, to look around the world and to see the culture of death almost intersecting every aspect of our life. Uh, And again, when I talk about the culture of death, first and foremost, what we are made to see when we talk about the culture of death is we're talking about a culture where there's an omission of love or an absence of love. And certainly theology of the body breaks open the larger meaning and the vastness of love. So yeah, we say, and and I've said the same thing, Chris, boy, I wish I knew this 5, 10, 15 years ago, but in saying that, God reminds me, you know, now is the time. And as you said, it should convict us to do the will of God and to hand this on. John Paul II has said on a number of occasions, we are called to hand this on so that ultimately those who are teenagers or those who are 40 or those who are 60 might be formed and informed in the beauty and the wonder that is theology of the body. Now, here we are in chapter 5 of The Love That Satisfies, and if you are a faithful listener out there, you know well where we're going, but if you're a first-time listener, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a book, The Love That Satisfies, by Christopher West. He is reflecting into the first half of Benedict Sixteenth encyclical, God is Love, where he focuses in on the relationship between eros and agape, that erotic human love, and agape, that divine sacrificial love. So chapter 5 is titled The Meeting Between Eros and Agape. And just by way of snapshot, Chris, what uh, Benedict Sixteenth and, and consequently uh, Christopher West gets into is this need to see eros and agape distinct but unified. And so what Christopher West does is he reflects on the Trinity, and the Church says loudly the Trinity is our starting point, because the Trinity is the manifestation of love. And in particular, as John Paul II reminds us, what we discover in the Trinity is that great truth, that great overarching truth of Christianity that has us constantly thinking about the family, because the Trinity is not an abstract mystery, but he is family, fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of family, which is love. 
And so what more can we say of the Trinity, Chris? As something we've explored in the past, the mm-hmm. Trinity is simply the love, that perfect eternal exchange of love between the Father and the Son, and in that love, we have the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is love given, love received, love shared. Now, what we are made to see is that the Trinity is also distinct in that unity. Huh? The Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son yet they are united. And why is this important? Because it illuminates eros and agape. Eros and agape are distinct. Eros is not agape. Mm -hmm. It points to agape, and agape points back to eros. And so we can see how the Trinity, as we explain it in the context of unity and distinction, illuminates eros and agape. We can look to Christ and see how Christ illuminates this. Christ's human nature and divine nature are distinct, yet they are unified. I mean, they are unified. If we miss this, if we don't see this for what it is, uh, we fall and we slip into into that murkiness of heresy, um, that murkiness of uh, confusion, because really understanding what we're talking about now lies at the heart of our faith. That being said, Chris... We have an imbalance in our culture, huh? Uh, we want to take the holiness out of sex, and we want to take the sex out of holiness, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is what Benedict Sixteenth in this first excerpt we're going to take up kind of touches upon. Okay, and this is um, from page 84, excerpt 33. Fundamentally, love is a single reality, but with different dimensions. When eros and agape are totally cut off from one another, the result is a caricature, or at least an impoverished form of love. Mm. Amen to the words of Benedict, huh? (laughs) You know, Chris, we as a culture, uh, we think that keeping the holiness uh, out of our sex life may sound appealing. But when our other-centeredness turns to self-centeredness, when our nuptial moments that we are called to enter into with our spouses uh, leads to narcissism, and our communion leads to isolation, and our serving others at the expense of self leads to serving self at the expense of others. It leaves a hole in our heart, does it not? I'm made to think of an analogy, you know, that I think I may have shared on one other occasion here. If you were to drop water on a rock enough times, it can actually leave an impression on the rock. And you drop enough water on the rock over an extended period of time, a great extended period of time, it can actually leave a hole in the rock. So when we exclude agape from eros and we tap into things like pornography, it is one drop of water on another on our heart. And it will leave a gaping hole in our heart. We cannot exclude agape from eros because eros was intended to orient us towards other and reveal the beauty and the wonder of the unity of eros and agape. Yes, I mean, you said earlier, Joe, that John Paul II came for such a time as this. We live in a carnal age. I know the world that I've grown up in is very different from the world that maybe my parents grew up in. It's more carnal. We have things thrown at us 
the flesh is everywhere. I mean, especially for young men, you have um, young women being advertised and trying to sell you things basically without anything covering them up. And mm-hmm. it's, it's that for me that makes me realize how far, you know, we have come in this, this rock, you know, how much water has, has dripped off of the, of the rock and, and what kind of a hole there is in our culture because we've been become so carnal uh, that I think we've lost our sense of even what, how, how Eros and Agape can go together, let yeah. alone that they do. Yeah, and where do you see it? I mean, you talk about this um, this carnal culture, this pornoculture. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much, Chris, to see. All you have to do is is go to the grocery store, and and mm-hmm. what will you see? You know, yeah. I yeah. I ran to the grocery store today. We were talking a little bit about this before, Chris. I ran to the grocery store today. I got about five items, and I had to stand in line for five or six minutes with with people complaining about paying money for the bags. (laughs) That's a whole other story. And And you got an eyeful, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I I did. Uh And uh, now I've made a point to speak with the managers on this, you know, Mm -hmm. even the the cosmopolitan. There's nothing subtle about it anymore. It's just in your face because it's what sells. It sells because there's an absence of love in our culture. Right, right. Right. There's an absence of love in our culture. These women who are on the cover of these magazines have not been loved. And we think that's the love we're looking for when mm-hmm. it is just Amen. the opposite. Uh, it's, it's an absence, like you say, of the true meaning of love, which is self-donation. This is a, a love that turns inward on itself. Mm-hmm. You know, this carnality, this, this narcissism of what can you do for me? What can that woman on that cover do for me? you know, in my own pleasure-seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only speak to us to this because it's it's such a, a battle for every man mm-hmm. in our culture and mm-hmm. probably a lot of women as well, but I can only speak to that experience of this has caused great grief mm-hmm. in my own life with dealing with how do I keep myself balanced mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. yes, our seeking for the other is a good and holy thing if we keep it in the right parameters, but... We don't have a sense of that yeah. in our culture. Young men don't have a sense of that, yep. and they need this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why we need to shout this from the from the rooftops. Well, hey, man, we've been doing that for the last five, six yeah. months, you know, Chris. So this is really, really important, and right. there's a reason why I have been in so many conversations with different people about this subject matter. I mean, out from this radio station, Chris, I find myself in conversations right now Maybe Wednesday night with Pope Francis, but right now, I tell you what, theology of the body, because of the stuff we're talking about right now, is, is, is a touchstone for everyone. Right. Um, now, all that being said, on the flip side, there's that more puritanical mm-hmm. approach, keeping the sex out of holiness. Uh, very Holier dangerous. than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We shall not speak of the body. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that's it, right. Chris. There, there's this tendency to turn the other way. And there is a great imbalance in that. Why? Because especially as Catholics, we are a very earthy, fleshy religion. God became man. Why? To show us what we need to do to be the best version of who God is calling us to be in our humanity. You know, just the other night, Chris, we were talking uh, about St. Maximus the Confessor. And his deal was he was martyred because of the importance of the human will. There was a heresy out there running amok that posed Christ only had a divine will. 
that he didn't have a human will, right? Well, what does that do? If Christ didn't have a human will, then there's a reduction in, in his humanity. And if there's a reduction in his humanity, well, where does that leave us? We're not connected to him. No. We can't connect to him if he is simply God, No, simply divine. He becomes human to show us how to be better human beings. And we are better human beings by saying yes in our human will to the divine will. Christ shows us this. So he graces the flesh with the greatness of his purity, and he teaches us, Chris, again, how we are to conform to the will of the divine Father. But this has us being present to the flesh. Because, again, we are a very sacramental religion. We are a very fleshy religion. And Christopher West uh, draws this out. You know, there he was on the cross. He was bleeding. His flesh was torn open. He divinizes through his body, right, Joe? Amen. I mean, he divinizes things through his touch. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. can I just touch the garment of his his tunic? I'll be healed. I have, you know, if I just brush up against him, if I get... Even the even the apostles. If I get in Peter's shadow, if I if we can find the relics, yes, we'll yes. be healed. I mean, it's we are so fleshy. And then getting to some of the most important words he had to say while on earth, Jesus says, "This is my body. Yeah, yeah. this is my blood, which is being poured out for you." Even for Catholics, cradle Catholics, every once in a while, we just have to stand back and go, wow, that blows me away. Yes, yes. And, and, and this really brings us, Chris, to the, to the essence of our faith. Because when he says, this is the body and, and the blood of the new covenant, what is he saying? You know, the word covenant in the Greek, diatheke, you translate that in the Latin, is testamentum. Christ is saying, this is the blood of the New Testament. <laughs> in theology, the body, what we are talking about... Chris, I dare say, is the New Testament, right. because this is what is at the heart of the gospel, essentially that he came to us in the flesh to sacramentalize it, and in doing so, reveal to us, and I could never say it enough, what it means to be human, reaching for the divine. Yes. yes. So important. Uh, the sacramentality, it, just, right. it really does lie at the heart of our faith. I, I love, you know... The blind man comes to him, Chris, and could he not just heal him? Well, of course he did. Yet, but he spits. He, yeah, he spits. <laughs> Why does he take the earth, the earth, okay, and smear it on his eyes? Because he wants to see that the church he's come to establish is sacramental in its yes, identity. It's, yes. it's, it's earthy. It's, it's tangible. It's fleshy. Yes. And yes. so, of course, the summit of our faith is the body and the blood of the Eucharist. So to remove the sex out of holiness is a very dangerous thing because it can lead to, it can lead to, and this is Benedict XVI and John Paul II, it can lead to a diminishing of the flesh. Right. And I love the way Christopher West says this. We, don't, we do not serve a passive God. We serve mm. a very active, reaching out God. Mm. Who, and he says this, a God who loves us. He is not a God who loves us in some abstract, quote, spiritual way. Mm. Um, he is much more comfortable. He is a God who literally bleeds to love us, mm. and what's more, invites us to drink His blood. Mm. Mm. It's a scandal to those that don't have the full picture, but for those who have it, it is—it's beautiful. It's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's truth incarnate. It, it really is. It, you know, I mean, it is uh, beautiful because it's truth incarnate. Truth incarnate is beauty, and this is. Uh, why theology of the body is so important to, to, to see 
that the body is in fact beautiful, not because uh, Hugh Hefner says that so, right. no, but because God ordained it to be. And you know, Joe, you brought up Hugh Hefner. I, I feel compelled to share something of my own experience here. We have our, our sexuality and our bodily outlook so quickly twisted uh, in the modern world. You know, I must have been six or seven years old when I f- saw my first pornographic magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. were kept in, uh, in a place that yeah. I discovered in our house. And I don't even know whose it was. It's not for me to, to judge sure, that. But sure. Okay, I'm six years old and I'm looking at this and I'm, mm. okay, so many things going through my yeah, mind. You know, yeah. uh, what is this? Oh, that's pretty exciting. Oh, um, I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, but there's another page. I mean, I I think about six-year-old Chris Seibert. Mm. Wow, poor kid. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the world we live in, though. We live in this age where carnality is just, it's so prevalent that... Again, I, I just want to learn more. Sure. I want to dive more into this so I can make sense of it Yeah, and, for and, others, too. Amen to that, Chris. And why it's so important to have that proper balance, right. to see one in light of the other. Um, again, Eros, the sexual urge is a good thing. Right. John Paul II, the necessary raw material for the more authentic love to, to develop because it right. points towards the other. Mm-hmm. and to, to see the beauty of the body. And so eros and agape, uh, it's very important to have that, that balance. Uh, very important to have that balance. And if you don't, as Benedict XVI says in John Paul II, Christopher West draws it out, there's going to be an impoverishment of love, mm-hmm. love itself. And if there's an impoverishment of love, Christ, then that means there's going to be an impoverishment of God. Because as we've already talked about it, God is love. And if we don't have our bearings right on this, it ultimately leads to a very distorted understanding of Jesus Christ. And what John Paul II tells us, what Jesus tells us, I mean, John Paul II is simply speaking the words of Jesus, allow me to untie the knot. Yes. Let me loosen and untie and make straight what was once crooked, mm. you know, mm. no matter when it happened. Yeah. You know, like we said, right now. That's for such right. a time as this, yeah. you know, not doesn't have to happen when you were six or sixteen or twenty-six or sixty-six. It, right now mm-hmm. is the time; mm-hmm. is the proper time. Amen, amen. And you know, in light of that, we turn to the God who is love. Christopher West. If there was one sentence that stood out to me, Chris. It was this, where he says, "If God is love, and if man can find himself only by learning to love." then our concept of love has a direct impact on our concept of God, how we understand God, and our concept of man. Okay, so our concept of God is theology, theology in its more classical sense, you know, fides, corins, intellectum, faith-seeking understanding. Okay, it's important for our concept of God to be uh, right with who he is. And then our concept of man, our concept of man is anthropology. Right? The two belong together, because if we're going to understand properly our anthropology, then we need to turn to God, because our anthropology just isn't body, as we've talked about before, Chris, but body and soul. Therefore, we turn to God. Illustrating in more detail what we've already talked about, Chris, the Catechism says, the Son of God became man so that we might become God. Mm, that one stood out to me uh, as yes, well. <laughs> uh, in other words, as Christopher West puts it, the Son of God experienced a human yearning of eros, I thirst, so that we might experience the divine fire of agape, I love. 
I found it really interesting, Joe, in that quote to think of, I thirst as eros. Yeah. Again, this is why we have to study theology of the body again and again, because at first that might scandalize us. That might be a, uh, you know, the editor in my mind saying, oh, you can't say that. Yeah, you can't yeah, yeah. talk about Jesus <laughs> like that. No, this is, <laughs> this is such a deeper understanding of eros than we've ever considered. We're getting into the union of eros with agape as it was meant from the beginning. Yes, which leads us to uh, maybe our final point here and something that we really do need to reflect upon, Chris, is um, to not substitute uh, eros, erotic love, with just our physicality, mm-hmm. right? Because as I had just talked about John Paul II, the sexual urge is necessary for the more authentic love to develop. The sexual urge, eros, points to the marital union. Right. Because it, it orients us towards other. In a similar way, agape points to what? The Eucharist, which, is, which highlights the marital union of Christ and His Church. And once we have a deeper understanding of the relationship between Christ and His Church with the Eucharist and our own marital unions, mm-hmm. we are well on our way to understanding the distinction, but yet at the same time, the unity of eros and agape. Very important, because in light of that, then, huh, what is agape again but the divine sacrificial love? Sacrifice becomes uh, more prevalent in our marriages, and is this not what's at the heart of our sanctity and holiness? Which is why <clears throat> we hear marriage and the Eucharist spoken of together so often, because they are <laughs> two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> It's the divine love of agape and the correctly oriented eros. Yeah, it's the glove and the ball. Right. Right? The, the ball makes no sense minus the glove. The glove makes no sense minus the ball. They need each other to serve their purpose. Which is why my yearning for my beautiful wife is the yearning for God himself. Yes. We yes. cannot separate the two. Yes. That's why it's there. And what's so important for us to understand as well, and this will be our postscript, Chris, is how all of the concrete sacrifices in our married life elevate and enrich that eros with our wives, the consummative act. And I think Christopher West talks about this, and many others have. This is a very underestimated point, how the more we give ourselves in the flesh and all of the little things that God calls us to do in our marriages actually enriches the consummative embrace, the consummative union. This is so often overlooked. And it's, it's a challenge for everyone. We have to look in the mirror and ask the question, Lord, how are you calling me to enter more deeply into agape mm-hmm. so that ultimately uh, the relationship between eros and agape will be what it is called right. to be? What's more, that everything that we are talking about right now is not something in the abstract but something that is an actual sharing in the very life of God. That the gift of Eros and this call we have to enter into the divine sacrificial love and agape is an actual sharing in God's own inner life. This is what makes this subject matter so extraordinary, supernatural, and a gift from God. Amen to that. I know, Chris, if you had any closing thoughts. You know, I... I think that sums it up, Joe. <laughs> Amen. All right, let's close with the word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.